For most of history, the imagination was not examined like a rare butterfly. In fact, it was not much thought of at all. It emerged naturally as an active space for the mind, its precise form only hinted at unknowingly. It was melded with perception, memory and dreaming, or blended with the mystery of the divine. Those engaged in the early oral traditions of storytelling use the imagination in language, in rhythm and rhyme, to bring invisible worlds to life, to assert a group's values, and to build systems of belonging. The imagination was a place of psychological refuge. It was a crutch to explain away the preoccupying mystery of human existence. The stories recited in gatherings or at religious festivals were generally tales of mythical ancestors, and they're still some of the best stories we have today. Homer's Iliad tells of the Trojan War, the anger of Achilles and the death of Hector, the Odyssey of the wanderings of Odysseus and his encounters with the Cyclops Circe and the Sirens. The telling and retelling of these stories around 3,000 years ago fostered a flowering of thought and language. Feeling was evoked through imagining, not only in the rage and sadness of war, but in the longing felt by Odysseus for his wife Penelope and for his home in Ithaca. The minds of those listening were expanded by simile and epithet. In the Iliad, men are but leaves on the trees, now green in youth, now withering on the ground. An Achaean army is likened in its movements to a dense cloud of bees. The sea is wine-dark and dawn is rosy-fingered. Through this freshly minted language, the audience were making new connections, so that two ideas, rosy and fingered, might enrich a third, dawn. They were co-creators in their own minds of these luminous tales of distant, heroic and largely imagined ancestors. On all continents, this casting and recasting of mythical worlds was born of a compulsion to imagine, and with its growing richness and complexity, there was soon a need for the specialist. In West Africa, the storyteller known as the Griot long occupied an exalted role within the group, a position handed down from one generation to the next. The Griot was, and still is, part storyteller, part musician, recounting, in the Epic of Zundiata, stories of ancient Mandi kings and their long genealogies. The words were accompanied by tunes plucked from the strings of the griot's kora, an early form of guitar. In the medieval Islamic world, during the long warm evenings, the Hakawatis would tell similar stories in the town squares of Cairo and Damascus. The Hakawati was both storyteller and actor. They'd recite episodes from epic poems such as Sirat Bani Hilal, or recount magical fables from the Thousand and One Nights, with stories like Aladdin that are still told today. The Hakawati also perfected the suspenseful ending, or the cliffhanger, drawing the story to a close at a point that would ensure their audience returned the following evening to hear what happened next. One well-known Hakawati, Ahmad al-Saidawi, made one story last 372 nights, until the governor of the province required him by force to disclose its ending. The imagination and its deployment of language crossed into religion and commerce. In Japan, a form of storytelling known as Rokugo was invented by Buddhist monks to hold the attention of their listeners. In its more remote rural areas, travelling tinkers and bamboo weavers regaled villagers with stories picked up on their travels. Their arrival would be eagerly anticipated. The greater the stock of their tales, the warmer their welcome, 
and the better business they did. In ancient India, the texts of Buddhism, Jainism and Hinduism were first preserved through oral transmission. The Sanskrit teachings contained in the Vedas are older than Homer, spoken by their sages since the second millennium BCE. They're still recited today, as much for their meaning as for their sounds, which are considered in Hinduism to be the primordial rhythms of creation.